podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommy's. I'm Jim Boardman and I'm joined today by Jay Reed and Tony Evans and we're getting together today in one of those rare occasions this season where we've just had a win. So, I mean, we can maybe start to be a little bit positive, can't we? Um, Jay, I'll go to you first. I mean, how positive are you after the win on Wednesday? Is, is everything cured now? No. Um, if if you want to say, was it a positive result? Obviously, yes, a win. It's now what, four unbeaten fours and four clean sheets on the spin. We're not back by any means. Um, you know, the performance will tell you that. But I think if it was offered to us, you know, prior to this run of games, the Derby, Newcastle, Palace and Wolves, you're going to get 10 points from that in whatever way, shape or form. You would have bit someone land off for it. Um, you know, the, the prospect of what's coming up at the weekend and then looking a little bit further down the line to, to what we then face in April is not nice. But yeah, it, it's... It sprouts of, you know, some things coming through. You know, spring is around the corner. You're seeing daffodils and maybe now we're starting to get a little bit of, you know, shoots blooming in the squad that not all is done and lost in this season as much as, you know, probably most people would be writing it off for us at the moment. And Tony, you, um, I mean, you're probably the same as well. It's sort of stuff we've seen before, isn't it? We've had these, um, we've had we've had games we've won like that and you start thinking, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we've turned a corner, but then you realise later on it's a false dawn. So, I mean, can we be excited? I mean, is it good that we can finally, if we are clutching the straws, really, at least we're clutching off the back of a win? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there, there are positives there. I mean, the difference is Van Dyke and Canarte in the team, you know, at the back, you think to yourself, well, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, these are, these are, these are better defenders than we've seen, you know, in, in recent weeks. So, so that's a positive, you know. Um, so I'm keen on that. I mean, you know, so certainly wolves were so poor you couldn't really judge by them. But you know, they they came in the cup and they were the better side. So I mean, so again, so it's a, a little bit of a positive there. Um, you know, uh, the midfield a bit of youth in there. You know, Bessetic has been has been very good. So you think to yourself. So I mean, for me. The, the problem has always been bigger. You know, we've had enough good players in the squad, even when we've had injuries, to be doing better than they were doing. So I'm like, um, I think the the issue is more tactics and the fact that maybe some of them are not listening to the manager in the way they once were and, and all the stuff that's going on around the sale and the uncertainty. Um you know, the people leaving in the recruitment department. So so there are big issues at the club and none of them have been solved. But um, you know, you think to yourself, at least 
you know, we're beginning to see signs. And, and let's face it, if they can't get themselves up for United, what can they do? Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. I mean, that that is the sort of um, the big test is really, you know, if you can't turn up for that. I mean, everyone makes mistakes, but if you make mistakes off the back of really trying your best, I think down the years, Liverpool fans have, have taken you to the heart for that, for the fact that you put everything into it. That's why we've got so many cult heroes, because there's players who maybe weren't the best players in the world, but they gave everything when they had the shirt on and, and we've loved them for it. And at times, the kind of players who've been maybe far, far better but have just turned up and thought the job was already done before they even got on the pitch. They, they're the ones that, that we never took to and, you know, players soon find out. I think the, the the thing about the stuff with the recruitment and the stuff, all that kind of stuff that it's not resolved, the, the truth is, I think, as a club, we've got to accept that it's not going to change now before the end of the season. The only sort of recruitment we can do is keeping players out or, you know, sort of lining players up for next season, but we can't kind of, we can't bring extra midfielders in now that we've been asking for for ages. We can't bring um, new defenders in to help give the two main men in the middle a bit of a cushion if needed, if they're over, if they're overrun. Um, one of those players that is leaving, he's sort of announced it today by the sounds of it, you know, it sounds nailed on. He's obviously got something else lined up. Bobby Firmino, you mentioned it just before, Jay. Um, on his way, is it the right time for him to go? Could we have got more out of him? Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. There's, there's probably a, a big divide in source of opinion on that one. I think it probably is the time to move him on in terms of, you know, his age. He's getting more and more little niggly injuries over the past, like, 18 months, two years. So, you know, the the, the science sources suggest that, you know, maybe we've we've had our, our wear out of him as, as it would be and, you know... All that he's given us, all the memories, all the all the leading to the trophies and stuff over, you know, the clock tenure. Um, it does tend to all stem from from that one man. It's it, a lot of it's ran through him. Um, but you know, we've often criticised the club in terms of holding on to players for a little too long. You know, there's, you know, the the people out there who will say like, you know, Henderson should have been shifted on a few years ago. Milner at thirty seven. Should not be at the club anymore. You know they're, they're serviceable in, in some areas, but in the in the the grand scheme of things, they're not really good enough for the required level we require on a on a consistent basis. Um, so you know you could point to it in in that aspect, but I think the disappointing thing for me is if if we are to be letting Bobby go once again, we're we're allowing another you know a good player, really good player at times to to walk out the door for free and. If our mantra is sell to buy, well, we're not selling because, you know, you can add them to the list of players such as, you know, Ginny Wijnaldum, Emre Chan, Daniel Sturridge, Alberto Moreno, 
you know, Adam Alana, the the list that goes on of, of players who've been, you know, very serviceable for us and had we have just maybe shifted them on. You you got this summer as well, Oxley Chamberlain, Naby Keita also potentially walking away for free. It's a lot of money that we're just basically allowing to walk out the door and it's then going to cost us to reinvest. And we all know the current ownership model is not one that's willing to heavily invest. Um, that's the only disappointing thing, I think, for me. If if we maybe could have got a, another two-year deal on them and then maybe after a year's time you say, look, well, okay, this is where we are and you know your game time's limited and we're happy to let you walk away now, but at least we'd be getting a fee. Um, that that for me is just the, the bit that sort of you know niggles away in the back of your mind that another good player, no money in the bank, and can we actually afford to replace him in the squad? Maybe we have in terms of Cody Gakpo. Who knows? Time will tell. But it's still a, a big player that's leaving us. Tony, when Jay saying that we're letting a player go for free, one thing about that is that like when we signed James Milner, for example, we got him for a free, but you don't get him for free. As in, you end up paying more wages, more signing on fees and, and things. So there'd, there'd be people looking at James Miller's wages and thinking maybe they're over the top. I don't know if they still are. And then Bobby's wages, obviously, keep him for a couple of years. You pay him whatever he wants for a couple of years, but to replace him, you've got to pay a transfer fee. Um, he doesn't, I mean, he's not that old, even though he feels like he might because he's been around so long. He's not that old, but is he sort of just too far out of the sort of comfort zone for FSG to, to throw new contracts at him or what? I mean, are you surprised he's leaving or does it make sense from a financial point of view? I I think it makes sense on a number of levels for him, particularly, you know, get, get a last big deal and, you know, deciding on free. I think he's reached that age where, I mean, he, he has been a little bit less effective in the last couple of years. And, you know, and he, he worked brilliantly, didn't he, with, um, with, with, with Salah and Mane. It hasn't quite gelled since you know the since Mane's left. So you know, I think that 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 that's one of the issues. But you know, I agree with Jay. The fact is, what do you make decisions on players too late and let them walk, walk away? I mean, I wrote about this in my column today. The fact that Keita, you know, he's he's been there five years, and everyone's still waiting for him to produce that. Like, oh, you know, that that, that brilliant, you know. A phase where he'll change his whole perception and they've ungone and ungone and he's going to walk away for nothing and he'll go elsewhere and he'll do all right, especially in Spain or uh, Italy or Germany, you know, where the pace is slower. And everyone will go, why did we let him go? But the question will be not that because he, he can't do it in the Premier League, but the question will be, why did we let him go for nothing? And that's what bothers me. And again, similarly, it bothers me with Firmino, who, you know, I'm a huge fan of and you know, but I, I do think it's the right time for him to go. Yeah, it is, and I think they've got they've got to go at some point. And we've said before loads of times on these shows how you want to see players decline for another club rather than yours. But you know that that saying goes back to the days of, of sort of Paisley, definitely. And the thing is, we either let those players go, we'd have got a bit of cash for them as well. We didn't just sort of let them go at the end of a contract because. I think back then we were we were smart enough to sort of make sure there was always enough length on a contract that um, it would be us who were able we'd be able to make that decision. There was also something Klopp said about players not wanting to leave, which was interesting. And I don't know whether you know any more about that. Whether you know whether there's maybe some players at the club that he wanted to move on, but there was just no chance because they were just not going to go somewhere else. Because otherwise, maybe maybe some of them were being paid too much and. We'd have to do what Man City did for us for years and sort of subsidise the wages like they did with Robbie Fowler. 
Yeah, there's there's an element of that, you know. Um, you know, you you, you go into a, a club where you're being paid not top rate wages because the people don't pay top rate wages. Close enough to it. Well, if, you, if you're Oxley, you're not going to walk and go to say I don't know back to Southampton, are you? And uh, <laughs> on half the money, you're going to sit it out. So you know, it's um, so I think that's one of the reasons. But again, that, that that's where they've got to be clever. Once, you, I mean, one of the things that. You know, going back to the Paisley and Fagan days, and you know, and um, you know, um, uh, you know, Ronnie Moran, they'd, they'd actually say to you, they'd say to you, like you know, it's one of them. The second you decide they're not good enough, move them on before everyone else realizes. Yeah. You know, move them on. Well, and and that's the thing we haven't done particularly with Kater. You know, and um, and you know, I think we've seen Firmino in a bit of a decline. We've seen he hasn't worked as well with Salah and Mane. You know, it's like, oh well, you know, maybe maybe two years ago would have been a better time to do it. Um, yeah, and that, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, having having the two years to go. I mean, I think we. I mean, I think one example of that is Sadio Mane who left, and we got some cash for him, and he left on good terms. You know, everything, everyone was happy with it. You know, we're sad to see him go, but wishing him well for the future, and that that worked out well for us. And that that is that's all part of sort of player management and player liaison stuff. I mean, not not the player liaison as in the person who helps them to remember their their, their pods when they get off the coach and that sort of thing. More about just keeping in touch and and and, and talking to agents, and that does. To me, that does sort of tie in with the whole recruitment side of things. And, you know, shifts have been not um, filled properly, I would say, in the last couple of years. And things have been let, let go. And they just shouldn't have let go. And it, it, it's bad that we're letting that happen. And that's one of the things that needs to be looked at. If we do sort of have a sort of bit of a, a review of this season and, and what went wrong, there's so many things we can go back to and make sure we fix for next time. Um just Kay to get in a mention then, Jay, you um and Tony mentioned about the midfield as well against Wolves. Were you happy with that midfield? It was it was basically um, you know, the the, the old man at the back, you know, Fabinho playing better than he has done for a while, I would say. Maybe still having a couple of moments, but definitely playing better than he has for a while. And then a couple of young kids. Was that was that the kind of midfield that's our best one at the moment given the situation with injuries? Um probably yeah. Given given what we've got available, um, you know, if if Fabinho is going to revitalise himself into the 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 guy we all know and loved of what like twelve eighteen months ago, where he was the you know it was called was he called the lighthouse, um, you know the the fellow who protected the back and you know maybe that then would lead to some more clean sheets. Who knows? But his mobility has always been an issue. That's that's never been a hidden fact that he's not the most mobile of players, but it was his reading of the game, his ability to to just nip in front and use them long legs to to break up the play and and you know shuttle side to side and you know maybe just help out the two lads at the back and, and allow them to split, which then in turn allows the fullbacks to press on because the the centre halves can cover into the wide areas and. With Kanate and Van Dijk, we've got two of the best in the game at doing that. But yeah, it it's uh, it, it it gives us more creativity in terms of Harvey Elliott. I'm never convinced that he is a a midfield free player. Just his physicality and you know his pace doesn't suggest to me that he'll ever be an elite number eight, if that's what you want to put him down as in that position. Um, but he's very much serviceable. He's got an eye for goal and. He links up well um, with with Salah and Trent on that side, and 
you know, he did present himself with a few opportunities on Wednesday night and, and Basetic at the moment is, is a revelation. I don't think he can do too much wrong because, you know, the, the 18 year old will get the, the benefits of the doubt with fans and say, you know, he's allowed to make these, these few errors because he's, he's got to to learn. Um, but at the same time, you know, he, he's given, given the, the, the impression that he actually is really bothered and wants to, to create a name for himself and create a, a position within the team. You know, he's, he's, he's chasing back and, and making tackles. He's looking to, to be brave on the ball. He's happy to receive under pressure with his back to, to players. And, and, you know, sometimes that is a, is a potential banana skin for him where he might get caught in possession, but he's brave. He's not willing to just play it safe all the time. There is times when sometimes the safe option will be better, but again, he's 18 and he will learn that. Going forward, it may be the midfield that is probably best for some games. There'll be other games, you know, as I'm sat here watching some horse racing of horses for courses sort of thing, <laughs> where, you know, other players may be more suited to to the uh, the occasion. But it is a midfield that gives us options. And, and that's something, you know, when we look at, you know, creativity especially and, you know, ability on the ball that, we've been lacking in, in certain games this season. So, yeah, I wouldn't be afraid to see it again in, in some games. I just don't think we'll see it ever too often. Maybe it's one that when Thiago is back and fit, that we'll see two of those players with the Thiago in there. Um, and maybe that sort of balance of youth and experience and creativity and ability on the ball and off the ball will all sort of mesh together and hopefully lead us to a to a loftier position than where we are in this current season. That what you just said then about um Harvey Elliott, you know, whether or not he is a midfielder for us or a midfielder in in the kind of formations that we play. That that's an interesting one because it's not the first time I've heard people say that. And I was thinking to myself, where where is his best position? And I don't know whether you're along the same lines, Tony, about whether that is his his best spot in the ro- in the in the team for us. Because obviously to to play further forward he's got quite a bit of competition and um in a way, one thing that sort of maybe goes against him, and I don't know if it's going to be something he can, um, you know, maybe he can get a little bit of this in what the age he is, but not much more, is his height. He's only about five foot six or something, according to some source I just quickly had a look at then. Um, he's not the tallest, and maybe, you know, maybe that's not the best for him to play up front. So do you think he, you know, where would you say his ideal position is going to be if he does stay with us and does progress? Because there's obviously a hell of a lot of talent there. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I think there's. Um, I think I'm a bit like Klopp here. I don't know where he'd be best deployed. You think he's too lightweight for midfield? You think he's not, you know, not not, not tall enough and physical enough again for um, to, to to play, you know, up front? And you think to yourself, where exactly is he going to fit in? And you do worry that he's going to be one of these in between players. You know, it's um, or you know, is there a case for with them for? changing the system. I mean, there might be a case for changing the system anyway, the way mm. people are stopping the full-backs. Is there a case for four four two and you know, and, and and try and take a different approach to a lot of teams and shock them? And you can think, I mean, you do feel sometimes what happens with the system that Klopp's got is square pegs are rammed into round holes mm. and Elliot feels a little bit like that. And I, you know, I hope I'm wrong about that. No, I hope he, he is a legitimate midfield, and we can, you know, we can say, oh, you know, he's going to grow into it. But 
I have a feeling he's he's a little bit of an in betweener. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember speaking to someone. Um, you probably know the person, someone who worked closely with Rafa a few years ago, and asked him what what's the best thing to do when you've not got everyone fit, when you can't get hold of the players you want, and the system you want to play and the players you've got aren't aren't the same things. What's the best thing to do? Force square pegs into round holes, or try and just change your system? And the the sort of answer I got is that you're probably better. You know, at least trying to sort of at least meet somewhere in the middle, but maybe change your system a bit and don't, don't try too hard to force players into places that they're just not suited for, which does make sense. And yeah. I think that's something yeah. we've got to avoid, but, um, he's not the only one, is he? I mean, another one that springs to mind. And I'm just wondering what's going to happen to him because so much talent. He looks such a prospect, but Curtis Jones, I mean, every so often we'll see him pop up on the bench. Every now and again, he even gets on, but you know, is it, is, is it time that we sort of, did something kind for him and, and let him find another club because it feels like his career is just being completely stalled when the longer he stays with us and stays on that bench. Yeah, well, that's you know what I was saying before, Pat, the, the fact that like you know you you once you decide to play is not for you, you get them out of there while you you know you're earning you, know, you can earn the maximum money. Yeah, and you, you do get the feeling that Curtis Jones has reached the dead end, don't you? And again, I hope I'm wrong about this. You know, I'd love to see him. Kick on, I'd love to see him, but, but where, where, you know, he, he's not in between her, isn't he? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's why he, he jumped into my head. I'm thinking, where do you play him? And, um, you know, he's, he's come through the academy, but he's not come through the academy to be the player that, that we hoped he would be because, you know, there's, there's just too much competition and, and we don't have the luxury the way we're playing lately either to sort of give the players a chance and bring them on for 20 minutes and, and see how they do. Cause there's too many games this season where we've needed every minute of the 90. Even though, let's face it, at times our first team haven't even bothered trying to play for any, anything like all the 90 minutes. Um, it's just what we're used to, isn't it? With, with this team lately, it's just so unpredictable. Uh, maybe just step away from current stuff for a minute. Um, I was just wondering, you know, if we're, um, I think I read your column today and I think there's, I was going to ask you about this anyway, Tony, but I think one, one thing that jumped out at me was, um, about Bernard Ingham dying and he's the latest one. One thing that jumped out on your column is there's just going to be loads of these, isn't there? In the next few weeks and there's a set of next few years, maybe, sorry, next few weeks. I don't know anything. If there's a load going in the next few weeks, it's nothing to do with me, but there's these names of people yes. who in life were absolute Unnice, un, unnice people. Let's just let's be as kind as I can about it. People that you would not ever want to class as a friend, who you'd probably want to punch. To be quite honest, if you were close up to them, they were that bad. Um, Bernard Ingham's a, a typical example for reasons we can go into. But um, there's that saying, isn't there? Um, Never speak ill of the dead. But if there's a, if there's ever ever a reason, if you if you do agree with that wholeheartedly, surely that rule doesn't apply to anyone who spent so much of their life speaking ill of the dead. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, they're happy when they're speaking ill of someone else is dead. And, the, the, you know, in the, um, when it fits their political prejudices. But, like, when, when you know, you criticise these people who are absolutely objectively welcome up the woodwork. And, you know, people say to me on social media, you know, have some dignity. Well, you know what? Dignity. Every time Ben Zingham spoke about Hillsborough, he was, as I wrote in the column, he was pissing on the bodies of the dead and he was driving a screwdriver into the minds of the survivors. And they want me, they want me to speak out of the oven. This was a man who should have been stripped of all his honours. He should have been subject to public humiliation because he lied. He lied and he continued to lie and he doubled down on lying. 
even even as far as 2016. You know what? So I have no I have no respect. I danced on his grave. You know. So and and I think anyone any decent person would. And one of the things is, you know what? We've reached this point where there's people who don't want to say you murdering scouts bastards. You killed your own fans. But that's mm. what they're thinking. So what they do is they find roundabout ways to do it. Like Matt Parry with his tweet, you know, calling Bernard Ingham as honest as the day is long, when it's actually, you know, it's it's actually provable that he wasn't. So, he, you know, it's a, it's a sly call, it's a dog whistle to all the Hillsborough deniers and to all the hazers. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what they're doing. And a lot of these people on social media are saying, have some dignity, you know, one of them. These don't want to say to me you're murdering ghost bastards so they'll come out in a different way but we know what you're doing we know what you're doing and we're you know we won't forget we won't forgive no and that's the truth i mean i, I don't know about you but there's, there's, i mean maybe it's something to do with age but i keep seeing people dying and you look back on them and i think well i'm not going to join in and say loads of nice things about them now because they annoyed the life out of me when when they were alive and i don't mean in the way bernard ingham did i mean just people who were just generally annoying i'm not going to turn around now and put some tweet out ending in r.i.p about what a wonderful person they were and how they lit up my life if that's not true but what i'll do is i'll just stay quiet i won't tweet about it i won't mention it if no one mentions it to me it won't even be anything that's in my conversation because i just think well in that case there's family and people around who were probably all right you probably had to suffer them um and, you know, I wouldn't want to upset them, so I'll just keep quiet. And sometimes it's better to be quiet. With, with Bernard Ingham, I, when I was quite young, teenager, first job, probably first proper job, his son actually worked in, in the same departments as me. So I knew, I knew his son for a while. And this was before Hillsborough. I was that young. Um, and I don't know what his son's like. I don't know what his son became. Like he seemed great to me when I knew him at the time, but he would have been obviously quite a lot younger. Um, I didn't realise, I don't even think I realised at the time who his dad was, which for those who were listening and wondering, he was the press secretary to Margaret Thatcher during her wonderful years of being what she was. Um, but his son seemed all right to me. But if I I never saw him since. I mean, I stopped working there. He stopped working there before me. I think he went off to work for the Express or something. But if I, if I saw him today, I would say the same thing. I'd say, your dad was horrible. Your dad was disgraceful. You're not, you know, you must feel embarrassed about it. Maybe I'd not go too hard on him right now at this minute when he's just lost his dad. But I can't believe that, unless you think that way yourself, that you wouldn't be thinking the same about your own family anyway, if that's what your family member was like. But the key thing that you said there is about um, these narratives. I mean, as well as reading Tony's column, you should also have a look for the because Tony has a lot of detail about this. Also, have a look for the Ron Kennedy on Twitter. I don't know if you're aware of him, Tony. He's put quite a few tweets out showing some of the stuff. I mean, Bernard Ingham actually caused somewhere in the 90s, even Glenda Jackson, who was briefly an MP, spoke out about him. And, you know, and that's going back to something like 1996. So, you know, he's known a long time and he's done nothing and he's just he's just perpetuated these myths. And he's, he's one of the main, as much a ringleader as anyone else that we've mentioned. And in many ways, maybe he should have been brought up in all the different um, pathetic inquests that we've had that didn't really do the job. Um, all this to you, Jay, must sound a little bit sort of um, distant because obviously, you, you know, you're hearing about Hillsborough. You were too young for Hillsborough. You, luckily for you, you were you were born before after Hillsborough. But I mean, these names must ring a bell with you, and you must it must seem astounding to you that people got away with this for so long. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. 
we don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I was born before, but cheers for the compliments. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> uh, I'm 87. Um, yeah. So, yeah, obviously it's it's something that I, you know, don't have any physical, no memory of other than, you know, what is put out there. Um, and, you know, as you said, like, you know, there was media articles put out there that were, were really wrong and, you know, exposed as lies and, you know, damning of what they actually did said, but you know, we, we live in a city where, you know, the truth will eventually come out and enough people will actually, you know, get the right thing done. And if it's for the for the right of their own people, you know, then Scousers tend to just do the right thing amongst themselves. And if they've got to take it into their own hands, then they will. But, yeah, it's 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 someone, as you say, you can't feel any sympathy for the, for the people who were responsible for that day and and then you know the same goes for you know the likes of Seraphin and stuff at UEFA now and you know the French authorities with what happened in Paris last year that you know that was a very very close disaster it was it was potentially waiting to happen because of the situation that they created and you would have no sympathy with those people because you know that even to this day obviously we're, we're only in a very short term after the events of Paris and in comparison to Hillsborough you know, you, you've got people denying it. You've got people unwilling to, to accept responsibility. You've got people unwilling to apologise and, and say, like, okay, we got our, we got that one wrong. We'll hold our hands up. And it does seem like, you know, until the, the days are gone and, and you know, they, they, they've passed away, that only then will will fingers be pointed and hands be held up and said, yeah, yeah actually, yeah, they, they did do the wrong thing. And at that point, you know, sadly it's too late that, you know, the actions have, have been been done and you can't really have any sort of effect on them. Um but as we as we'll always go on and we've always said on this podcast and and, and everyone else connected to Liverpool, like the, the fight for justice will always continue. We'll never never let it die and we are, as it stands, about six or seven weeks away from, you know, the anniversary of Hillsborough and and now more than ever, you know, like it, it means more than you know, you get idiots as well. Like in in the in the social media world that we live in these days, that you know, deal sympathisers for for the likes of Ben and Ingram, and then say you know, justice for the ninety six hashtag at the end of it. Well, you know, it, it's a token gesture that you're trying to look like you're making, but actually, you don't even know the facts because it's ninety seven these days. You know, like ninety seven people lost their lives as a consequence of Hillsborough, but so many others have also been affected and also had their lives lost, whether it be, you know, our own family members and people who were connected to those who went that day who maybe not lost their lives, but 
afterwards, you know, PTSD and stuff like that can all have an effect. And it's not just 97 lives that were lost of, of it. There's a lot more people affected. And that that's the annoying thing to see now, obviously, is as a as a younger person of the generation who is sort of on the on the the cusp of social media because sometimes I can't be bothered with it and sometimes you you know you find yourself ingrained in it but little things like that it, it can be quite annoying where you know you get sympathizers for people because of you know the political connections or whether they just thought well we're just going to bury our head in the sands because of that situation it's it's too much for me to actually bother myself with educating about what actually really happened that day. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing as well is about Hillsborough, there's so many things that that were wrong without, you know, almost like in stages. It was wrong that it happened in the first place. It was wrong even before that, that the game was even played there with our fans being put in that section. But then you also got how it was wrong afterwards, not just in terms of the aftermath, in terms of all the lies and the covering up and, and the... The, the police union, if you like, going and going onto the likes of Bernard Ingham and others and the press and other MPs trying to put out a story to cover their backs as well, as best he could. The, the horrific stories that when you listen back to some of the details of the stories they put out there, they were the products of a sick, sick mind. And yet those people were somehow held up as pillars of the community, the right people to, to sort of look after us all and, and did so for years. And, you know, it's unbelievable that they they kept in a job, but another part of it all that that was important was was how help was got to the people who were victims and and people who later died that maybe wouldn't have died because of how the reaction was to it, and that has never really been properly addressed and properly dealt with because it's been hidden underneath all of these lies. But something I know you've you've referred to as well, Tony, quite a bit um, this week. There was a sort of a bit of a result to the to the sort of inquiry into what happened in the Manchester arena bombings. And a lot of the attention has been on whether or not they could have prevented it by, you know, looking more closely into the terrorists who actually carried out the attack. But there's going to be some questions that have got to be answered about with the response. And all those years after Hillsborough, surely, 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 if people had listened to what had gone on at Hillsborough, maybe more people would have lived from as a result of their injuries rather than die as a result of those injuries. Yeah, I mean, you said that on so many occasions, you know, and like, because one of the things is people don't realize when you're talking about Hillsborough, it's not about us. It's all been all over for us for a long time. Mm-hmm. We're never going to get restitution. We've, you know, you know, never mind the, 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 the deaths, but we've, we've had the dead ends. We're not going to get it. We just don't want to see it happen to anyone else. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it breaks me hurt that two, at least two of the victims of the Manchester bombing, died because of systemic problems within the same systemic problems within the emergency services that existed as Hillsborough. You know, a thorough investigation into Hillsborough would have highlighted these and they could have been addressed. But no, people are still dying for that. And likewise, you know, we talk about the Hillsborough law and a lot of people across the country shut off when they hear the word Hillsborough. They are those whinging scouts bastards, you know, one of them. Mm. Well, Hillsborough law is, is it, it, it's a duty of candor from elected uh, and public officials. And so they have to admit it. So it's not just for us. It's for the COVID-19 families, the people who died. And the Han- Matt Hancock texts this week show how seriously a, um, a, 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 a what you call all is it, and inquiries needed. It's for the the poor people who the haemophiliacs who suffered from the uh, the taint of blood 
um, scandal where they were given blood with AIDS from people who, who were suffering AIDS, which infected them. And they infected the families, the wives and the, the kids and all that. And you know what? They, there was a huge cover-up. They didn't want to admit that they made this mistake. You know, it's like huge cover-up. You know, going back to the 50s, the, uh, the nuclear testing victims, so people who were on national service in the army and the navy who were at the test sites and given no protection, and then over the years lied to by the authorities who tried to wriggle off the hook for giving them all kinds of leukemia and cancer that was passed on to their children as well. It's not for us. It's for everyone. And this is like, you know, it, it, it's really crucial that people understand that. But they don't, you know, because the football fans and, you know, and they hate Liverpool or the, 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 their anti-scouts bigotry overrides good sense. Well, you know what? I hope it never happens to you. But if it does, I'll be like, well, you know what? You should have listened. You should have listened to us. It's inhumane as well. I think the way that, or not inhumane, inhuman, the way people react to it, because they put these stupid prejudices above above any kind of empathy for what's gone on, because you're right, it, this could have been anyone, and it could have been in any situation. I mean, it would have been less likely to happen at a rugby match, because it sort of, you know, at Twickenham or something, because it's less likely the police would have gone in there with the kind of attitudes that the police had towards football fans and towards scousers at the time. It just, you know, it's a different world. It's less likely to happen for the last night of the proms or something, something like that. Things that I don't know much about, but because, you know, it's less likely to happen because I don't know much about it and they're not the people that are sort of being treated as thugs and as jobs and as horrible people. And you're right, we're not, we, our family, the families that, that, lost people are not going to get anything out of it there's no um there's no way that the victims are going to suddenly be cured just because someone um someone gets done for it someone gets finally finally done for it but that is one of my biggest frustrations was just this um i always remember going back to when whenever they were sort of saying that it was ticketless fans and all the rest of it and we knew it wasn't we spent a lot of time trying to say it wasn't ticketless fans it wasn't drunken fans it wasn't that it was the police doing what they did and we didn't spend enough time saying but but what if it was what if it was fans without tickets who'd had too much to drink how the hell can anything in this country be so bad that that many people could die because of an in, in, inability to sort of handle that situation and we've talked about other disasters that have happened where the same sort of approach is that you know blame it on the people literally blame it on the victims is what it is as you mentioned in your, in your column about that certain evertonian um is not the only one he's not the only one who sort of spends his time saying things that he knows what he's saying. I mean, he knows damn well what he's doing and he knows what buttons he's trying to press. And, you know, he, he probably gets a bit of a, a a laugh and a bit of a pat on the back of a few people who are, he, he considers his mates. But you know what? They're welcome to each other, in my opinion. Um, there's, there's I, gonna... I, 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 I had a personal experience with him, Jim. And uh, at the moment, I don't want to go into it. Mm. But if he carries on, I'll lay it out bare. And it was really, really ugly. And it was one of those uh, situations where I said to him, I said, if you ever say anything like that to me, I, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I will, you know. And anyway, um, you know, and he never ever said anything directly to me again because of it. But uh, I, I, I know what, what rancid thoughts go through his mind. Yeah, the kind of thoughts of the same kind of people who came up with the stories that were fed to the sun back then. Um, you know, it takes a certain mind, kind of mind to come up with stuff like that. 
maybe you know maybe um maybe that's the problem with some people and maybe we we can't do anything about them but other than make sure that they're outed um just something i was saying as well beforehand is um i'll put this one to you first of all jay is that something that gets mentioned a lot about hillsborough is how there were no mobile phones in those days you kind of have to remind people that in days gone by um you know we might have had color telly then but we definitely didn't have mobile phones and people had to go and you know some lovely people in the local area were letting people use their phones to let family know they were safe but another thing we didn't have then of course was we didn't have smartphones obviously we didn't have things like whatsapp which is what's gone on this week with stuff being leaked from the government um what would i'm just trying to think you know how different might it have been if there'd been whatsapp you know if if there'd been some whistleblower who'd got their hands on a whatsapp conversation um surely 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 these the the time we waited for justice wouldn't have been as long because I can imagine there the were similar kind of things going on where they did just incriminated themselves. Um, you know, the government now have incriminated themselves by let, by using WhatsApp for one thing, something that they want to make less safe, less uh, secure. They've been using that to talk about stuff and they've got found out. Um, you know, wouldn't it have been good if maybe we'd had something like WhatsApp back then? Because you can guarantee they'd have incriminated themselves and we'd have found out the truth much sooner. Yeah, and just on that, like, thankfully, you know, for the likes of WhatsApp and smartphones, what I was I able to let my family know that I was safe in Paris. Yeah. Um, you know, I I was fortunate enough to be within the perimeter of the ground at the time of you know the gates being closed and the, you know fans being locked out, and then I could see what was happening, so went inside to my seats because you know there was a lot of police coming out of the like the inner inner perimeter of the stadium towards the gate and I thought, well, maybe I'm better off inside than in my seat because the police are going one way, it might be best if I go the other. Um and then only then like once you know the game was delayed, for example, did we get messages from people back home asking, Are you okay? And uh, do you know what's actually going on outside? Because we didn't actually have any idea of those fans who were inside where I was, what the situation was that was unfolding. But yeah, if it was something that was around back then, you know, then may- maybe, you know, the loss of life wouldn't have maybe been so severe. Maybe, you know, it, there could have been, you know, more calls for actual help and those who were in need of, of agents help and, you know, left, left to die in, in that stand could have actually maybe been saved. It's, it, it, it's a sad force. Um, you know, <laughs> For all we do say about like smartphones and social media and whatever, th- there is some small like crumbs of comfort in terms of what they can do for you. Uh, but it, in terms of like you know political aspect and and, and what's being being said um, in in messages, you know, it it doesn't really come as any surprise, especially with the Tory like establishment that is making an absolute hames of what's going on with this country. Um that, you know, what what we were told was never actually the truth. And and, you know, it to some people that will come as a surprise to to others who are wise to, to this sort of goings on, then, you know, it it isn't a surprise to us really. And it it's more annoying for the for you know the the fact of people who 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 went through COVID and, and lost family members or lost loved ones or lost friends and you know, these people who were meant to be doing right by the by the nation and right by the public were actually doing so wrong. Um, and 
yeah, it, it's it's for those people that you feel, you know, really upset for because, you know, pe- people denied what was actually the, the truth and what was going on. And it, I don't think it'll ever change as long as you sort of have politics and, you know, really bent, self-censored politicians involved in the game that, you know, the people at the bottom will always be the ones who lose out. I think another one as well, when I was saying about what difference it might have made if WhatsApp had been around, um, I suppose it depends who a load of WhatsApp messages by the police at the time, where they were colluding on how to make sure that Liverpool fans were made to look like the cause of the whole issue, um, coming up with great ideas like whether or not to breathalyse children and all the other stuff that they did and, and test for blood, uh, test for alcohol in, in the in the blood samples of, of dead children. Um, one of the big issues about whether that ever would have come out, I suppose, Tony, is whether is who actually got their hands on the WhatsApp messages because um I think it's fair to say that the little load of WhatsApp messages that have come out now have come out because the person who had access to them had a bit of an agenda of their own and it wasn't all in the public interest because if it was, maybe more than one news organisation would have got their hands on them. And I think it's fair to say that even if there had been something like WhatsApp back in the day, um let's just put it this way, I doubt the editor of The Sun would have been revealing them. Oh well, definitely not, definitely not. But I think I think the main thing is um, that it, you know <laughs> what 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 the the policeman uh, in the aftermath of Hillsborough didn't realise is that the the internet was ever surface, and mm-hmm. um, and the fact is they did commit the, the the thoughts to paper, and they did commit some of their actions to paper, and what they thought to be to be stored away in a big file, and no one has ever get to them. But of course, you know the internet come along, and suddenly they're available to to see, really. Mm. And um, and you know you talking about the Ron Kennedy before. Well, Neil Neil is has become a magnificent researcher. He'd never researched anything before the uh, the Independent Panel, and um, and he's become a brilliant researcher. And all these things that these the, the, these the, the, all this evidence that they thought we'd never get our hands on and we'd never see and no one has ever seen Neil's been able to get access to. <laughs> so he's he's um so w- when you see those Ron Kennedy threads and if you're not following them then there's something wrong with you. When you see these Ron Kennedy threads, these are all absolutely brilliantly researched in in a way that's like it just staggers me. And he's like he he's definitely one of the the, the, the heroes of Hillsborough. We started off talking about villains um, and, and, and Bernard Ingham, and he certainly was. But you know what? It, 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 Hillsborough still continues to throw up heroes after all this time, from the people who go on the pitch to help save lives, to people like Neil, and the Ron Kennedy, who are who killing misinformation out there. And you know what? They'll always be deniers. But while we've got people like Neil who, who can put them straight, we have a chance. Exactly. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. He's, he, he, he deserves, I mean, he wouldn't want a medal and not many people do want medals who actually deserve them. He deserves a medal for the stuff he's done. I mean, the amount of times he's come onto threads and, and comments I've made on Twitter and just thrown a little bit of evidence out at whoever's been trying it on with me or whatever it is I'm talking about to do with that, that topic. It's, 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 it's a massive help every time because, you know, the best way to shut people up is to say, really, have a look at this. And, um, apart from the ones who can't read slash won't read, um, it shuts them up. And I always think with stuff on the internet, when, when people are arguing with you, um, 
carry on with your argument with the person who's in front of you because you're not just you're not just talking to them you're talking to all the audience that's kind of coming at it and stood around watching you and they're listening to you and they're beginning to get the chance to make their own minds up and even if they don't say anything don't get involved whatsoever they're listening to what you're saying and if you're saying stuff that's true i mean truth always wins in the end i think in the end it might take a long time but it generally wins in the end so it's always worth keeping doing it and evidence is the best way to do it and we've got plenty of that um it's just a shame they managed to hide it for as long as he did but let's maybe um I mean, I suppose the quick, the quick segue from that now into what's happening next is we're going to be playing a team from down the road on Sunday, a team who, um, are one of our biggest rivals. Um, I mean, I'll come to you quickly on this, Jay. I mean, part, quite apart from the fact that we know they're going to sing those songs that they always sing and they're going to pretend that it's got nothing to do with Hillsborough like they always do. Um, there are old rivals, aren't they? I mean, is this a bigger game for you than Everton? Which game would you say was the bigger of the two? Because I know that people have different opinions on this. Oh, um, <laughs> I, I suppose it's the two games you look out for when the fixture calendar comes out. Um, you know, growing up through the nineties, like being dominated by Manchester United. Um, obviously. They had the, you know, the sort of the voodoo over us, and we didn't really have too much joy um, until recent times over them. Um, it's always just been that fixture that I've always looked kind of at with a little bit of fear and and worry. Um, but yeah, like the Everton game, it's more about personal pride with that, and obviously, you know, living in the city that. You know, you've always got one over on, on your blue mates. Where with United, it just feels. A little bit more, sort of, a bit more tense and a bit more like you really need to beat them because you really just don't like them. And you know, we've probably got listeners who hail from Manchester, and there's probably listeners who have got Manchester United fans as friends. And the, the fact of the matter is that Liverpool and Manchester are very alike in terms of you know status and cities and stuff. They've got a Deep lying hatred probably underneath for, for Scousers and there's probably a deep lying hatred for Manx from Scousers. It just tends to be the way it is. They don't sort of really get on. But, you know, when you put us probably together as a northern sort of powerhouse, then we'll, we'll club together and do what we've got to do when it comes to like political aspects and stuff. But it's, it's one of them games that you just don't really want to, you can't really enjoy. I think over recent years, we've, we've had a few good results, but even then, like up until like you're 3-0, 4-0 up, do you actually feel we're comfortable in this game? Because they've they've just done that thing in the past where it looks like it's came back now that they're unbeatable. They'll always find a way. They'll always have you know, Fergie time as it was. They'll always have a goal in them, even if it's the ninety fifth minute as it was. Like you look at your phone the other night when uh, I was at the Wolves game and just checking scores every now and again, like every twenty minutes or so. And it's like West Ham one nil up, and then you know, fifteen minutes to go or whatever. West Ham still one up. You know they might be going out the cup, and then you check it again. And it's own goal, eighty uh, ninth minute, ninety fifth minute, and you're like that's just typically United. Like yeah, it's just it's just them. And we turn like to each other. And we were saying like you know what, it feels like they're back, um, and you know it's been what eight years. Um, since they last won the trophy, was it when they picked up the Carabao Cup last week? And we've enjoyed that eight years because of, you know, what Jurgen Klopp gave us. Like we've 
we've sweeped the ball, we've won everything else, but it's a scary prospect facing them. And right now, going into this game at the weekend, the form book, as we've said in recent times, over derbies tend to go to win the ball. Right now, the form book is, is definitely with them, and it's a it's a frightening prospect to to face them. And never did yeah. I think I'd be saying that in you know the the recent years of what we've had. But that just sort of shows kudos to what they've sort of done in terms of recruiting a manager who is actually a decent manager and not some sort of hoax who who thinks he can do it because he's got connections to the club. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's changed, hasn't it? I think funny what you're saying then that when, when you start looking at the, the Manx score coming in and you think, you know, maybe you're losing and then all of a sudden they, they'll get a bit of luck and then another bit of luck and they've won the game. It's funny how when you're looking at Everton, it's kind of the other way around, isn't it? You'll see them winning the game and you think, oh my God, they could do this. Next thing you know, they're winning 1-0, 90th minute. Next thing you look, they, they lost 4-1 or something like that. <laughs> that's, that's how Everton do us. I think the other difference between the two fixtures is, I think with Everton, it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I dread both fixtures and then love it afterwards if we've won. But I think with Everton, you're more likely to kind of have to listen to it. But I think one of the bigger differences, like if if you if you were if you were coming home from the match and you're on a bus with the blue, you'd probably most of the time most blues you'd probably be able to chat about the game quite in a quite civil manner, have a bit of a laugh about it, and you know, probably because it's your mate that you know that you bumped into or just happened to get the same bus home or whatever, you know. But then. If you're on, like I remember being on the train, the train leaving Lime Street and it goes, you know, obviously stops at Broad Green and so on, goes through Heighton, Stephen Gerrard's old stomping ground. Um, but it's Great the train to Heighton, Manchester. By the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the train to Manchester and every door on it had two policemen waiting for any trouble that was going to kick off just by having the Manx on that train. And that, that's, that is, I don't know, is that the difference, Tony, that, um, I mean, it's not the friendly derby anymore, but, there's more at stake. It's more, it's more anger, isn't it? It's, it's more like a war than a than a bit of a than a bit of a an argument between brothers. Yeah, I mean the thing is, you know, for me growing up, obviously the derby was a big deal because it was always like you know your family members, your mates, you know, and all that, yeah. and you'd always like. You know, so so, so you'd be, it, but, but like there was less interaction certainly in the seventies and eighties between Liverpool and Manchester than there is now. I mean, you know, people didn't work in Manchester. You know, people. Uh, so yeah, they ever saw Manx, yeah, they ever heard the Manx accents, except when you went to the match there, and um, and so like you know that that created a, a bigger us and them situation than there is now. I mean, now I've seen people walking around you know town with my new shirts on. Well, in the seventies or early eighties. You know, there wasn't even lynch mobs forming. And, um, you know, so so it's, it's changed that way. So it's a little bit less. And also the global fan thing, you know, sort of so many fans are from outside the two cities. So when they come along, they don't, um, you know, they don't quite have the level of antagonism. But for me, man, you, the festival of hate, you know, you had the friendly derby, which was never that friendly, as I've talked about frequently. <laughs> but like, you had the festival, the friendly derby and the festival of hate. And you know what? You know which I preferred? I loved going to Man U in particular. It was always just like going to Old Trafford. It was fantastic. You know, it's, um, it, it really, uh, you know, the, the, the antagonism spiced up the game. You know, it was like, so it was like, um, you know, it's just tremendous. So I, you know, it's one of those things where for me, always the game which had a bigger, I wanted to win more was, was Man United because to be honest, I didn't mind seeing, you know, me mates and me family being happy, I'd rather they didn't. But, like, I never wanted to see a man happy, if you know what I mean. 
so it's um so yeah so that's the way it was but yeah I, I mean I love the game you know I love the fixture and I, you know I'm looking forward to it um you know especially the fact that Salah owns them doesn't he you know he scored like ten in the last five games so you know pads his figures you know run up the score go at mobile yeah, I mean, and you know what, we're saying that Mo's had a bad season and he's just got his 20th of the season. It's like, it's just been a bad season that's gone on too long and it's had too many interruptions and gaps and just felt weird. So are you feeling, are you feeling confident? Because I, I was thinking that, you know, when we're looking ahead to fixtures and that, I, I think with Liverpool that I sometimes worry more about the games against the likes of Wolves because we sort of almost go into them thinking we've won it and then we mess up. But games against the likes of United, as you said right at the beginning, if you can't get yourself up for that game, you shouldn't even be anywhere near Liverpool Football Club because that, that I mean, it's got to be one of the first things you're told when you come to the club if you didn't already know how big a fixture it is. Um, I'm not saying personally that we're going to win on Sunday, but I don't know about you, I'd be surprised if we didn't put a hell of a fight up for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, um, you know, I think, um, and, you know, and, and United have improved. And, we, you know, it, in September, we couldn't have imagined they'd be this good. And they've won a trophy. But that should mean, you know, Liverpool, they're even more up for it. And let's face it, like I said before, the players are there. The players are there. You, you know, no one can say Liverpool lack talent. Might be a bit short-handed in the midfield, but there's talent everywhere, particularly up front and, and central defence, you know. Um, you know the fullbacks, they can do it. There's enough there. It's just whether, well, you know, then then you've got to, you know, you've got to say, well, you know, now it's down to Jürgen. Down to Jürgen, and also Jay down to the twelfth man. I would say because um, we talked before about the importance of it and how um, it's never really clear which one starts off. It's like a chicken and egg. If the fans are up for it, the players seem more up for it. If the players are more up for it, the fans seem more up for it. And everyone should be up for this game. But, I mean, I, I felt on Wednesday that the crowd really started to get behind the team a lot more in the second half than the first. And that, whether that was, you know, and again, I don't know which one caused the other, but the players were better at that point. I don't know um, if that was how you felt when you were there on Wednesday or whether... You know whether I'm getting it wrong, but also, I mean, surely, 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 Sunday's going to be loud. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Uh, on Wednesday, I think, yeah, you're right. The second half was was just better overall. Um, you know, I, I got to half time, was thinking maybe it should just 
being one of those people who flogged <laughs> your ticket because there was there was a lot of tickets going spare, um, a lot of season ticket holders didn't fancy it on Wednesday night, but I'm sure they'll fancy it on Sunday. And that's just a little little side note. But um, I think you know always attacking the cop end in the second half. It's you know it 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 can be sort of cliched, but it's what we want. Like we want to attack our own fans. Any any football team does. You know, like they always would prefer to attack the home end in the second half and, you know, the famous old, you know, they'll suck a goal into the nest and stuff like that. But I think the, the fans at Liverpool are so knowledgeable. They recognise, like, you know, first half we had a couple of opportunities. didn't really go our way, but he was, as we said earlier, there were signs and sprouts of optimism. And, you know, we knew we had also options off the bench should we have needed it. Um, in, in Gapo and Firmino as, as, as attacking options to bring on and maybe freshen things up and change it. But, you know, the, the players come out and they sort of went straight on the front foot early in the second half. And and all of a sudden, it just sort of snowballs. As, and if you get a couple of half chances and, you know, the, the crowd get behind you, as you say, it's chicken and egg. Like, what, what actually comes first? It all sort of works hand in hand. Um, and eventually, you know, we get the... We get the goals um, and the positive results. Sunday, 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 Sunday. It's it, it should really be have that feel of like a European night. You know, like you know, we we were up for the derby and we done that. We were up for the Real Madrid game and the first twenty minutes went went splendid and then it all you know fell apart as we've we've said on previous podcasts. But there is no no bigger game really that. We've got now in in the rest of our season. We have got the likes of Arsenal, um, maybe Tottenham still to come to Anfield, but this is now the biggest game we'll have at Anfield for the rest of the season. Should you know, barring a miracle in in Madrid in a couple of weeks, but if we're all honest with ourselves, that's highly unlikely. This is now the one that we've got to be the twelfth man. We've got to you know create a hostile environment. We've got to make sure that the eleven lads. On the pitch in red shirts, well, ten in the red shirts, and the fellow who'd probably be in a in his all black outfit um, in between the sticks. They know we're with them at all times, and you know anyone who might have a a blip or might have a bad touch doesn't matter. We spoke on on Monday's pod about the old Anfield groan, but this game, I think it will be more of a you know let that one go, just get behind you, make sure your next one goes, make sure you you win your next tackle, make sure the next pass is to feet, make, make sure, you know, you, you pick your mate up or you cover your mate and that's the sort of unique atmosphere that's preserved for, for such a tie like this. Um, and there'll be another 12th man on the pitch and hopefully, you know, just mentioning it, it's nowhere near as bad as that shit show that performed on Wednesday night because <laughs> he is... Absolutely awful, and I'd love Klopp to call it out because Fergie done it in years gone by. He said, like, you know, that referee was so bad, and all of a sudden that referee didn't have United games again. But it's it's by no means a coincidence that Paul Tierney has not given us a penalty in 26 games. We've not had a penalty all season as it is, but he has not given us anything in 26 games. You know, in 22 games of United, he's given them six. In 23 games of Man City, he's given them six. He disallowed a blatant goal when we played uh, on Wednesday night that I thought was absolutely fair. He got the Fabinho one all wrong. But then you look back at like you know a season gone by and a very similar, if not more heavy-handed, approach on Diogo Jota against Tottenham. 
and it was, you know, deemed a non-penalty or a dive. And then, you know, Harry Kane, England's Harry Kane, diving for Andy Robertson was absolutely fine. You know, it's it's no coincidence that that man and when we play is so bad. Um, and I think off the top of my head, it could be Anthony Taylor, Manchester's Anthony Taylor. Oh, yeah, start yeah. <laughs> on on Sunday and as fourth official or the VAR fella, I think it's VAR is Withenshaw's David Coote. But you know, there's nothing to see here. We'll just we'll just gloss over that and we'll make sure you know that's not actually mentioned in in the fact that we're playing a team called Manchester United. Even if a referee isn't biased, the fact that you sort of put a, a referee in who's from your opponent's sort of town, basically, then you're just asking for trouble. It means everything they do is going to be scrutinised and. And that, and I just hope we're not talking about refs on Sunday. And I think, to be fair, actually, it's not it's not the thing we talk about a lot when we look back on big, big Liverpool, Man United games in the past. And I just thought I'd put you both on the on the spot here, Tony first. Um, I'm not saying what's your favourite Man U Liverpool fixture, but what was your, you know, what is there any one that really jumps out at you at the top of your head, one that you really like to remember, even a moment from one of the games, if not the game itself. Oh God, yeah, yeah, easy. Um, the semi-final in 1985, the um, the madhouse at Good where the most violent game I've ever been to. That's not why I'm saying it was good. It was good. <laughs> uh, it was memorable for that. I've never seen such trouble out of game. You know, people like just like uh, it went mad at me when I said it was way more violent than Heisel. But it was. It was. There wasn't that much trouble at Heisel. No. It's just, you know, the, the trouble was condensed and the wall collapsed at like the day, the semi final, you know, just over a month before it was no civilians. It was the worst I've ever seen. But if we move to like what the, the, the good sides were being memorable, we, you know, United took the lead twice and we had two late equalizers once in normal time and once in extra time. And honestly, the joy, the outburst, you know, if you go on YouTube and look at it, you'll see the crowds, you'll see how manic it was, but the explosion of joy with those two late equalizers. Of course, we went to Main Roads on the Wednesday and got beat. So that was crap. But <laughs> in, in, in terms of memorable games against United, that was, that was, uh, the, that was the one. And bear in mind, the first game I saw against United was in 1970, 70, 71, 71, I think, a 2-2 draw where Liverpool were 2-0 up at, um, at, at, like, uh, at, at the half, destroyed them. And George Best went mad in the second half and set up um, goals for Charlton and Law. You know what I mean? So, so I've seen a lot of games against United over the years, but the, the most memorable one was the, the Goodison semi. Wild, wild day <laughs> and wild celebrations. Was that the year we saw the yellow kit or was that another year? Remember we had to, now we that, both wore away kits. Yeah, the, uh, the yellow kit was at the 79 semi, which the first one was, that was another great game. The first one was at Main Roads where Dalglish wriggled through them all yeah. and scored. You know, they wore their John Player special top. And we looked just brilliant in yellow. And yeah. I mean, I, I actually, it look, did it look like John Player special? It was more like a stir jumper, wasn't it? They looked <laughs> as wool as they come, and we looked so cool. But again, they knocked us out of goodness in the, in the replay. Yeah, <laughs> no, so, not happy ends in either. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's it, though. You know what? Going to matches, it's not always about the game, is it? And the happy ending or not. It's about, about the, the, the absolute joy you have been there and enjoying all all that goes with it before and after i'm sure that's be like be like on sunday as well for people jay have you got any um quick memories your best best liverpool man united game i don't think you can move without glossing over the 5-0 transfer of united the other year when uh, you know all of a sudden there seemed to be an early train 
uh, just departing Old Trafford that everyone needed to catch on about 55 minutes. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, my, my first and probably most fondest memory um, was my football idol growing up, was Robbie Fowler and, and the 2-2 draw. Um, the two goals, the famous uh, white and green squared kit, uh, Fowler 23 on the back and the first one when he, he bullies Gary Neville and sell, sends him for the uh, the echo down the road and, and puts one past Michael and then another one when he he chipped him. Um, and, you know, the famous blonde-haired bombshell that was Robbie Fowler at that time and he could do no wrong in my eyes. Um we didn't win the game. Again, it was a 2-2, as Tony's just mentioned there. Um, given the choice, would I take a 2-2 at the weekend? Probably right now. Um, but, you know, once I get inside the ground on Sunday, I'm sure I'll want it more like a 5-0 chance and never seen an Old Trafford. But, yeah, that, that's, that for me was probably one of my first earliest memories of actually seeing us get something against United because, other than that, there wasn't much really to write home about in the 90s with, with growing up watching Liverpool against the Manx. Yeah, and I think one of—I mean, there's so many good games, so many, so many bad games as well. I mean, I can remember games where we were basically um, just getting pelted. I think Ruddock was playing for us at the time, and we we were hanging on for a bit. But the fact we were having to hang on against him was just so so depressing at the time. But a few years later, that wasn't the case. We played them 2009. We beat them four-one at their place, and although in the end it didn't really count for anything. It didn't have put the shits up them, I would say. Um, and it, even if it didn't turn out to be the case as well, it felt like we were really, really, really starting to get somewhere. And I think that was, um, I mean, Rafa was doing so much right at the time, despite being so criticized at the time. Um, great win, um, uh, great 4-1 win. And the fact that Andrea De Sena was one of the, um, the goal scorers told you a lot about what kind of game it was. Um, do you reference that game because we also beat Madrid 4-0? In the same week. <laughs> yes. That was, that was it. I mean, that was that season where we did so much right. And yet, you know, didn't always end, didn't end the way we would have liked. But, you know, I'll take that. I'll take a 4-0 on Sunday, 4-1 on Sunday, 5-0. Um, I don't think I'll take a 2-2. But I think if I take a game as good as any of them, you know, as, as exciting to watch as any of them. Um, any quick predictions then, Tony? What do you reckon Sunday? Uh, well, I mean, uh, my predictions lately have been pretty poor, <laughs> so I'll, I'll stay away from that. But I'm, I'm rather hoping that you know, so, so we'll rouse ourselves and keep the season going. And Jay, have you got any predictions? Are you you want to stay on the fence too? Um, as I say, right now I'm taking a two-two if, if offered, but I would love us to just just sneak it by a goal, whether that be 3-2, whether it be 2-1, whether that be 1-0. You know, as uh, Tony mentioned, Mo Salah's got them on strings and there'd be no better time for them to score another one. Um, or, you know, as we come full circle and mention Bobby Firmino, if he comes off the bench and, you know, nods one in to give us a winner, that'll do for me nicely. And yeah, if, if we can keep this this run of just positive results going, because after this, we've only got Bournemouth and then we've not got a game for like three weeks. If we can get to that little gap there, unbeaten in six, you know, it, it, it's signs of possibility that, you know, maybe something is salvageable in this season. So once I get in there Sunday, I'm sure it'll be absolutely berserk and mental when I'm in, you know, 304. Probably can't see because there's that many people jumping around and the flags are flying all over the place. But yeah, a win in any sort of aspect will do me nicely. 
being there is the main thing, isn't it? Being there, whether you can see it or not. I mean, anyone who's been in the lower Anfield Road will tell you that on a European night. I'm feeling confident too, somehow. I don't know why. Maybe it's misplaced confidence, but there's just something about this club that, you know, people used to say about other clubs, never write them off. or never write us off. I think we've got a good chance on Sunday, especially if everyone puts everything into it. All 12 of us and all 12 of them. But that's it for us for this week. Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back again next week, I'm sure, with more stuff. Maybe we'll discover how right or wrong we were with our thoughts on this game. But for now, again, as always, thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.